walking through the Old Testament and seeing, uh, taking one text in each of the books of the Old Testament and seeing Christ, amen, as he is revealed in all of Scripture. Um, before, before I get started this morning, I, I do want to mention something. Um, I would have mentioned this last week, but I uh, did not know that this was happening. But we have a special person in our room this morning, and I think we need to recognize him and his family. Um, he's been battling cancer for and uh, we are grateful and thankful that he is with us this morning. Mr. Matthew Reynolds, we're glad that you're here this morning. Praise the Lord for you. Praise the Lord that he has overcome. Praise the Lord that you chose to worship with us this morning, my brother. We are thankful for you and your family and what you guys have endured these past several months and over a year now. And uh, just a blessing and encouragement. And uh, also before I get started this morning, our own Kyle Jernigan is preaching in view of a call right now at Soldier Creek Baptist Church. And so you'll just bow your head and we'll pray for him as he declares the word of God at that church. Father, we thank you for Soldier Creek and we thank you for calling our brother Kyle, um, our associate pastor, um, to, to, to lead their church and to shepherd and to preach the word on a weekly basis there. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, strengthen him right now to declare your word, declare your truth, and uh, you would allow him um, the ability, Father, to, to uh, declare it boldly and, and, and clearly as the scripture um, dictates, Lord. We thank you for this man and his willingness to step out in faith and to declare your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, Isaiah is not an easy book, and to break it down into one passage is very, very difficult, but we're going to try to do that in Isaiah. Isaiah is an interesting prophet, as you saw in the video. In three years, he was, uh, he was naked just to make a point to, to Egypt. Uh, that's, that's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty strong man of God to make a point like that. Uh, he lives in a time where the northern kingdom is being conquered by Assyria because of their idolatry. And Judah, or the southern kingdom, is being on the verge of sent to exile because of their wickedness in breaking God's covenant. There have been wicked kings and God has raised up the prophet, the man of God to declare the word of God to the people of God in order for them to repent and turn to the Lord of heaven and earth. The book begins with a status of the people. It's like checking our Facebook status. If we look at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, it's like checking the Facebook status of the people of Israel. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4 says this, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Tell us how you really feel, Isaiah. Right? 
It is uh, similar to our day in time, but in Israel's day, as the people of God, it is not good. God pronounces judgment upon his people through the prophet Isaiah. God's glory in his salvation through judgment is a key theme through this book. They have broken the covenant. They're receiving the curses that are found in the law in the days of Moses. And yet, the prophet Isaiah is still pronouncing a better day. A day in which God will bring about his salvation for his people. Ultimately, Deuteronomy 28, Moses tells the people that they will go into exile from the land that God gave to them. It is the curse of disobedience. But the judgment is not just for Israel. It's for the nations. And chapter 24 of Isaiah tells us this as God is pronouncing his judgment to come upon the wicked nations of the earth who have dealt unjustly with those created in the image of God. You see, God cares about his reflection in his image bearers, the people of God. God is declared the defender of the orphan, the defender of the widow, and he will bring about justice through his judgment. Isaiah chapter 10 is a bit of sampling for us. It says this, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right. The widows may be their spoil and then they make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. The hand of the Lord is against his people and the nations of the earth because of their oppression of the people that are created in the image of God. His oppression of orphans and widows. His unjustice that has come upon the earth. And now the idolatry has taken it to a level in which the Lord cannot withhold his judgment. So God, as just as he is in his judgment, will also bring about salvation through his judgment. So chapter 25 tells us, the prophet Isaiah tells us of a better day, right? How he will bring about God's glory in salvation through judgment. We'll read a few of these verses in Isaiah chapter 25, 
If you want to refer back at some point to 24, you can see the judgment of God, but God is bringing about his salvation. And we hear about it here in verse 6. You can stand with me in the reading of God's word as we, this is our passage this morning that we will be preaching from. And we stand in honor of reading God's word because we believe this is the inerrant, infallible word of God. The truth of God's word. And we stand in honor of reading because this is what we believe and what we need. Verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. The prophet Isaiah, the word of the Lord this morning, you can be seated. Father, we thank you that as you open our eyes to what the prophets are preaching to us, that they preach of a better day. Father, and we know that day is only because of Christ. That day is coming in which we will be in the mountain of God dwelling in the presence of God, feasting at the table of God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Help us to live as people who are destined for glory. Father, give us hearts to understand Father, ears to hear and eyes to see your truths of your word. May your spirit open to us the scriptures that we may be able to respond in worship and behold our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you may know I have a sister. Some of you may not know that. She's older than I am. And uh, when she was about seven or eight years old, I wasn't even a twinkling or a thought in my father or mother's eye. That means I wasn't born yet, if you didn't catch that. And she was doing what a lot of seven and eight-year-olds do. They play soccer. And she was in the parking lot, and unfortunately a car backed out and didn't see her and broke her leg, her femur actually, the large bone in her leg. In those days, I don't know what they would do now, but in those days, they put her into what is called traction. That means that you sit in a hospital bed and put your leg in the air and you don't move for four weeks. 
Now you can imagine a seven or eight-year-old child stuck in a bed, not being able to move. Not a good idea. But I can imagine what was going on in her mind at that young age. As I've imagined this many times before in my life. What is going to happen in the future? Am I able to get out of this mess? In her mind, it would have been, am I going to ever be able to walk? When does this end? By the way, she's doing fine now. She walks about five miles a day, is very healthy, and does great. But maybe you, like her, are in this moment of your life. You can only think about today. Maybe in this moment of your life, you're asking the question, is it going to get any better? Maybe you're even asking the question, is there a way out? What will happen to me in the future? Yet even amidst the brokenness of our sin and in the world, the injustice that you may be facing, you may be even under the discipline, the wrath of God, the Lord God Almighty because of your sin. And yet this passage promises you and the people in the days of Isaiah hope. Because God says to the prophet Isaiah, I will act. I will host a feast. And you will be invited to sit at the Lord's table. I will bring salvation to you who are undeserving of my salvation. Who will do this? God himself will do this. So guess what, church? There are better days ahead for us. Did you know that you are living in one of the most wicked times in human history? Church, did you know that? And why do you say that, Rob? Pastor Rob, how do you say that we're more wicked than the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? We're more wicked than in the days of, of Rome. We're more wicked in the days of, I'm not saying that we're more wicked than each individual city, but as a whole, we are more wicked. As a world, we are more wicked. And why is that? Two reasons. We live in the information age and we live in one of the wealthiest times in human history. What does that mean? That means you have access to evil and you have the ability to do evil. Access to any type of evil or people who perform it or learn about it or any type of practice at the click of a button. You also have the ability to do evil which used to be relegated to the king or the leaders of a village or a city, but now many people live like kings with their wealth and their empires so they can do damage on a large scale and tweet about it. Isaiah in his day looks past the present to a better day, one that is filled with hope for Israel and the nations as well who will be judged. And there is something 
church that we need right now. There is something, church, that they have needed as the people of God throughout human history. It is called hope. Because it allows you to persevere through the difficulties. It allows you to see that there is a better day coming. So my prayer for you is this. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen? Our hope is not built upon our political leaders. Our hope is not built upon our circumstances or our wealth. Our hope is placed upon the truths of the word of God and God himself. So let's look at the verse one. Uh, This is the preceding verses to verse 6, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, planned, form of old, faithful and sure. For you've made the city of heap, he's pronouncing his judgment, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you, for you have been a stronghold to the poor a stronghold to the needy in distress, a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade in the cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. And then he says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Verse 6 begins our preaching this morning, and the first point is thus. God will restore His creation to its intended state. God will restore His creation to its intended state. Now the mountain of the Lord is seen throughout the Bible as the place where heaven and earth meet. The presence of God dwelling among man. It begins in the Garden of Eden. It tells us a a minor detail, but if you don't understand it, you'll miss it very simply. Out of the garden comes a single river, and it flows out to form four rivers signifying that the river flows down from a mountain. Ezekiel describes the garden of God as the mountain of God. The garden is where the presence of God comes to dwell with his creation. So the mountain here is significant. The psalmist says in chapter 15... Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? When Moses went up to the mountain to be with the Lord, to receive the Ten Commandments, he went up, what? The mountain of the Lord. 
when the tabernacle is built, it is a mini Eden. The Lord comes down to dwell among his people. Eventually, that will become the temple, which will be in the city of God, Jerusalem, the place where he has chosen to dwell among his people, which will be called Mount Zion. Jerusalem, the temple mount, the place where the presence of God comes to dwell among his people. But you see, Jerusalem, the place where God comes to dwell among his people becomes wicked. It is destroyed and the people are exiled from Jerusalem. The people are taken out of Jerusalem just as Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. Exiled from the presence of God. But Isaiah promises God is making all things new. That there will be a new Jerusalem. One in which the writer in Revelation says comes out of heaven as Jesus makes all things new. And what will happen in this new Jerusalem after the nations of the earth are destroyed, after Israel itself is destroyed, there is a feast. The Bible says in verse 6, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Yes, there will be wine in heaven, Baptist, that's okay. Rich food of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. But this is referring to a feast. A feast with the Lord. You see, wedding customs during Jesus' time had three major parts. First, a marriage contract was signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. And the bridegroom would pay something called a dowry, a down payment, a payment for the bride. And this would begin the betrothal period. We would call that today an engagement. That's the first step, the dowry, the payment for the bride. The next phase or the next step usually occurred sometime later, which the bridegroom, accompanied by his male friends, went to the house of the bride at midnight, creating this torchlight parade through the streets. And the bride would know in advance this was going to take place, so she would be ready with all of her friends, the maidens. They would all join the parade and end up at the bridegroom's house. This is the parable of the ten virgins in which Jesus talks about 
than preparing their lamps for oil and waiting for the bridegroom. And then we have the third phase. So the first phase is the the payment. The second phase is the, the waiting for the bridegroom to come, to take us to be with him. And the third phase is which Isaiah is talking about here, is the marriage supper itself. Might go on for days. The wedding at Cana, where Jesus performed his first miracle. This feast, this celebration, the union of the groom, the bridegroom, and his bride. John in Revelation tells us that this is going to happen. He says in Revelation 19, 7, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So what is Isaiah doing here? He's pointing us to a day That we will celebrate with the Lord Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now we are revealed in the New Testament that who is the bride of Christ? It is his church, the people of God who believe upon Christ for salvation. And what is the payment that is made? So that... The bride, the church could be bought. It is the blood of Jesus upon the cross. And so, church, we await a day in which we enter in to the feast of the Lord. In which he has prepared for us through his blood that was shed. And he's coming again. And we better be ready church. I'm not going to preach it yet, but it talks about here the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Are we dressed and ready for the Lord to come? It's pointing us to a better day. And guess what? It's not just Israel who will be here. What does it say? It was The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, all nations, will sit at the table with the Lord. The dowry has been paid for all nations. Church, we await his coming to feast upon the mountain of God as it was intended to be in the Garden of Eden. But how will this happen, Isaiah? We know the wickedness of God's people. We know the wickedness of the nations. You have been proclaiming that. How will this happen? 
We we see the sins of the nations, the judgment and the wrath of God coming upon us. How can this be? Look at verse 7. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. This is point number two. God will reveal himself and death will be conquered. Isaiah preaches 450 years before the coming Jesus. 450 years, Isaiah prophesies that death will be swallowed up. The veil will be lifted. What is this veil? This veil over all the nations. Exodus 34 talks about Moses when he went up the mountain to be with the Lord, to the mountain of the Lord, to be with God. It says that he did not eat or drink for 40 days. That's impossible. How could he not eat or drink for 40 days? You know what happens if you don't eat for just five days? Days, or I mean, if you don't drink water for five days, what happens? Your body shuts down. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Paying attention on the front row. I like that. Wake up. Five days, and guess what? Your body shuts down. It was the glory of God sustaining Moses upon the mountain. He was face to face with the glory of the Lord God Almighty. And he was being sustained by the bread of life. The living water. Because he was in the presence of God. And when he came down, it says the people were afraid of him. They wouldn't come near him because his face was shining. The glory of God was reflecting on Moses' face. So he put a veil over his face. The veil is, is a representation. Moses would actually unveil to see God's glory and then veil it back. But he, it's a representation of the inability of people to see the glory of God. You see, the veil was there so that they understood that they could not enter into the presence, just as the Holy of Holies had the veil. And when Jesus died on the cross, the veil is torn in two. The veil is lifted. The covering is lifted. Second Corinthians, Paul talks about the veil. Second Corinthians 4, 3. And if, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
So, so what is Isaiah saying here? He's saying that the nations are veiled. They cannot see God. They cannot be in his presence. They cannot receive his glory. Satan has blinded them. They do not have access. They cannot know God, but he will lift the veil. 2 Corinthians 3, 14, but in their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Amen? Only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We can see the glory of God. We can enter into his presence. And one day we will feast at his table. The veil is removed. Why? Because Jesus removed the veil. And how does he do that, Isaiah? Tell us how he does it. 450 years before he does it. Tell us, Isaiah. Tell us that there's a better day coming. Isaiah tells us that there will be a virgin born. His name will be Emmanuel. That there will be a day that the child will be born and the government shall rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of on the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah says that there will be a king in the line of David. He describes it as a stump of the root of Jesse that will spring forth. Why? Because the line of David is cut off. It's just a stump, but there will be spring forth a root from the line of David. David's father is Jesse. The king in the line of David, the promise to David that his kingdom will never end is Jesus. Isaiah understands this 450 years before Jesus even comes. The unveiling of the Lord as he comes in glory to the earth. What will he do when he comes to the earth? He will swallow up death forever. The Lord will wipe away tears from all their faces, the reproach from all his people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Paul writes again, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Christ defeats death. The veil is removed The glory of God is accessible and now death is forever cast into the lake of fire and removed from all eternity. And how will he do this? 
how we take away the reproach, how we swallow up death, how we make the glory of God accessible to human sinful beings. Isaiah will tell us in chapter 53, which we read this morning, that Jesus himself will become the suffering servant, the one who will be crushed for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions, that he would bear the sins upon himself and make intercession for sinners. So how is God going to justly judge the wicked and yet bring about his salvation. It is through the suffering servant in which he pours out his wrath upon so that we could receive God's salvation. It is the gospel in Isaiah God's judgment against the nations is coming. That God's judgment against the nations has come upon Christ, the suffering servant. And we must respond to that. But we must not stop here. Because if we stop here, We lose what our response is to this great gospel. As John Piper said it this week, there is an effective connection between the Lord's suffering upon the cross and our ability to glorify him with our life. Verse 9, look at it with me. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It's not our salvation. It's his salvation. Verse 3, we will rejoice In God's salvation. We will rejoice in God's salvation. The response is the therefore, church. The last three chapters of Ephesians as the first three chapters declare the glory of God and what he has done through Jesus Christ as the last three chapters declare the therefore. And Isaiah understands that there is a therefore because of what God has done through Christ. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We will wait for his coming. And how will we live between the now and when he comes or will come? We will live in gratitude, a life of gratitude for our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be bondservants of the Most High God. Why? Because we want to serve the Lord God Almighty. Because our 
gratitude and our service will be so overwhelming that all we can do is say we want to love Christ and we want to live his mission. We respond to God's salvation by our life. Therefore, we must not separate the effective connection between the gospel's power to save and the gospel's power to live for the glory of God. What does that mean, church? What does that mean for us? It means you, man of God, you are able to overcome your pornographic addiction because of the glory of the gospel and the spirit in which fills your heart and your mind that you abhor those things. It means that you are able to give to others of your time and your efforts and your money Because your heart is fully invested in the kingdom of God. It means you desire God more than your next meal because he is that which sustains you and you yearn for better days. And you clothe yourself in righteousness and you prepare your lamp because he is coming again. Isaiah begins his ministry in the throne room of God. As many of the prophets do, they go into the presence of God Almighty, in which he sees the glory of God. And he says, amidst the glory that surrounded the throne of God, he says, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, And one of the seraphim, one of the angels, creature-like beings that stand around the throne, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. You see, Isaiah understands the gospel. God, from his very self, his essence, from his altar, the coal, from his altar, the sacrifice that is being burned, comes to Isaiah and touches his lips and says, you've been atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. Sins of Jesus paid for your sin and your blood upon the cross of Christ. But we don't stop there because the effective connection between the gospel and God's justification and what He wants to do in and through you now, church, is what happens next. What does Isaiah say? And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
And Isaiah responds to the gospel in his life by saying, here I am, send me. Essentially, the cry of the believer, I am a servant of the living God. Here I am, Lord, use me as you will. This is a hope for a better day. But while we hope for the better day, we need to live for the glory of God today. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Church, let's pray. If you'll stand with me as we pray this morning, there's two responses to Isaiah and a hope for a better day. There's one response of repentance in which Isaiah is calling for you to repent of your sin, your wickedness, your shame, your guilt, and to come and find Christ. So the invitation now, church, as they play, is that you come and you bow your knee to Jesus and you say, here I am, send me. One is a salvific, meaning you're justified, meaning your sins are washed away. And the other is a sanctifying work of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So either way, God is regenerating our hearts. He's giving us new desires for the glory of God. Not only are we saved so that we can be with him for all eternity, but we are saved to live for him now. So the response is yours, church, as pastors are up front. It's a very clear message. If you believe that Christ paid for your sins upon the cross, you can receive salvation too. We'd love to have you talk to one of our pastors this morning and what it means to pray to receive Christ. We'd also love to talk to one of your pastors if you're struggling or if you're not struggling. You just want people to pray for you. If you come down front, it doesn't mean you murdered somebody last weekend, okay? We're offering prayer up front salvation up front we want the Lord to move in your hearts if you'll kneel at the front the altar is open for you David's going to lead us in worship have we prayed yet I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to lead in worship Father we thank you for your blessing of your great salvation we rejoice in that this morning if there are those that are here that are not saved we pray that the spirit of the living God would convict their heart to come forward this morning. That they would go not because their friend told her, or the pastor called them, but because you called them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are better days ahead. We'll sing about God's grace.